0: You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast with the host that's old enough to remember when Bono was more than that overbearing douche nozzle with a bug cloth. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Engel, and my job on this show is to cover the Green Lantern comic, specifically the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004. All the while, while I do this show, I'm putting a special emphasis on my two favorite Green Lanterns, Kyle Rayner and Guy And... As you know, things are winding down, sadly, rather quickly on the show, as we're coming to issue 179 of The Green Lantern, Only three more issues, including this one, until we finish up this series. It's been, it's been a fun run. We've had our ups and downs. Recently, we've had some pretty down times, but I think we're getting a real upswing at the end. Ron Mars has come back to the book. He's re-energized the character of Kyle Rayner, He's taken him through sort of a gauntlet, having to deal with all the problems he's had in his life. His breakup with Jenny, with the JLA seeming not to need anymore, And now that sort of comes to a head, now that he knows that the man who's behind basically all of his misery is none other than Major Force, the main motivating factor in him becoming Green Lantern. If you don't remember in issue 54 of Green Lantern, Something happened horribly to one of Kyle's girlfriends, which cemented the fact that he should remain a superhero and carry on this mantle. Kyle's pretty peeved about finding out that major force is behind all of this, and in this issue, he goes to try and take him down. Unfortunately, he takes a kind of unorthodox way of trying to get it done by breaking into a government office and smashing up the place. Which does raise the ire of visiting Green Lantern and friend, John Stewart decides to try and get Kyle to calm down. Unfortunately, that leads to the stereotypical Marvel, hero versus hero fight, and that's what we've got in this. It's more great storytelling by Ron Mars. He's wrapping up the the series that he started with Kyle Rayner, and he's assisted by some really great artwork by Luke Ross. Altogether, the story's coming together really well. It's wrapping things up. It's cementing Kyle as an effective hero, and it's just been a breath of fresh air. I think because of the whole Ben Rave thing, it's nice to see that Kyle is back in his true form. But we're going to get to that, and I've been getting a lot of emails from you guys. I'm going to read those as soon as I get done with the promos, which I'm going to play right after this. So, after we get done with emails and promos, we'll get right into our coverage Of Green Lantern number one seventy nine. true freaks just got a little more random pop culture affidavit the podcast that looks at everything random in the world of popular culture is now on the two true freaks network every episode is something different movies comics television music so join me tom Paneris. For Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork at two true freaks dot com and dot com. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back-to-back taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need mine, or am I good where I'm at? Oh, well, now you do. <laughs> if I have mine, you'll do it. You might want to. only if you do have it set to automatically, because you don't want it to automatically, because the thing never works right. Because what'll happen is it'll be used to you at a particular, time, and then if you go out of that, it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough so it's better to just set it up oh okay right it, it really doesn't work well so I checked all right. uh, I checked my uh what do mm-hmm. you call it? my pre- okay. it definitely pre- built nine nine me green. for the hotel for all three of us join back to the bins every week for goodness Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers yeah. Calabac Tassad, it is I Dark Side. I command you to listen Podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends, so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning, Glass and Hippolyta, Phantom, Stranger, Michigan. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mm -hmm. Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water Podcast. It started as an idea. A flicker. Now with a simple voice email to the Superman in the Bronze Age podcast, that flicker has become a flame. Now, Russell, you're ready to start a podcast. Yep, you're ready to go. Yes, start it, and then then we can email you. Whoa. And Russell has been, you know, the most consistent emailer. I think it's time that he does start a show. DC Comics Presents. You know, after Dave's done, and... I mean, you're not covering every issue. So he could do all of them. I would highly recommend that, actually. That would be awesome. So there you go, Russell. Go for it. I can't wait to hear his reaction to this. this (laughs) (laughs) Well, boys, here's your response. The DC Comics Presents show, hosted by me, Russell Bragg. On each episode, I will cover one issue of DC Comics Presents in publishing order until I reach the end of the series. I will also be covering all four annuals, Plus, I will be drawing a character spotlight on each of Superman's guest stars, and we'll be going to the Spinner Rack to see what other comic books were available. Join me each episode of the DC Comics Presents Show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's DCCPSHOW. And we're back. And since the downtime, I've had a little bit of consolation email from you wonderful listeners. I'm going to go ahead and jump straight into email. Take it away, Mr. Tom Serva. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. And we'll start out the show with a couple of emails from my good friend to the Great White North, Mr. Scott Davis. The first one he's written in is entitled, Jenny's Phone Number. He says, Sean, I was able to catch up on some more issues, and I have a few comments. On Greenlander number 169, this was a great issue, and I'm glad to see Kilowog back. I was excited to see a bunch of those old characters back that I never thought we'd see again, especially Raker. Hmm, maybe I might have to disagree with you a bit about how Jenny is being portrayed in this issue with the flirting. It's been almost two months, and she hasn't heard anything from Kyle? Gonna have to disagree, Scott. Jenny's always been a little frisky, too. Well, yes, but she's dating Kyle. that That's... she shouldn't be messing around. Maybe that's me. He says she flirted with male models before she was with Kyle in Green Lantern 108. The whole pregnancy scare might have been a ruse, too, which shows you a bit of her character. I just chalk that up to more... I don't know... Judd Winnick not caring? No idea. He says, I'm telling you, she's a wild one. Remember how much she loved getting orgasms in the teleporter with Wonder Oh, man, we're bringing that one up again. And one more thing. Don't forget Kyle was sleeping with Saria when he went through the painting in Green Lantern Annual number no. 6 while he was with Jenny. Uh, I don't... I don't want to think that was happening, but sure, maybe. I'm still not doing that. He goes on to say, okay, I'm just bugging you, Sean. I'm playing a little devil's advocate. Only a few more podcasts left, so I'm trying to get you to going in bed. Well, uh, when it's talking about how Ben Ray wrote Jenny, then yes, that will definitely get me going. He says that Naked Kilowog's splash page can never be unseen, unfortunately. Do we really need to know that he shaves the junk? Oh, I didn't even want to think about that. On the second to last page, Kyle implies that he's itching for some sex. I guess two months of celibacy has finally gotten to it. Leon is great. I'd love to see more of her if that's even possible. I-, I thought you saw pretty much all of her. I mean, there's not much... Oh, you mean like more of her character. In this. No, no, she's uh, she hasn't been in any of these issues, and I'm sorry if you're wanting to see more. Maybe someone in the new run will bring her up. Who knows? He says, Greenlander number 170. This was a weak issue, and I agree, there is no need for a clip show at this point. I really thought Jenny was having the shower of shame after going out with that dude she picked up in the last issue. Oh, don't worry. The shower of shame comes up later on. If it's not, though, because the phones are at the end, because it's probably getting on soon after this. Ugh. The, the art is bizarre in this issue, especially on his ass strap on page five. Yeah, that's, that's becoming a... Uh, Sort of mainstay fixture of her, uh, wardrobe, and it's really uncomfortable. It says, I like the Rush reference at the beginning, but the Alan McBeal reference was weak. Sean, the Jade and Kyle relationship was starting to get a bit stale, so let's move on. This new guy seems nice. Okay, now you're just trying to get me upset, aren't you, Scott? uh well, whatever. Then he goes on to 171, 1, part 1. The cover art by Karen Grant is fantastic, and okay, the Dave and Terry and Jenny and business dude stories should have been discarded. They're not relevant, and it's getting us, it's just getting us angry. Okay, well, I'm glad you're seeing, you're sort of coming to my side, and seeing how this story just is wrong. You're right about the Dave and Terry dialogue, which makes absolutely no sense at all. The fapping on page 12 is hilarious, though. Yes, that's where the had the sound effect of fap, which is... Not really accustomed to what was going on that issue, it's something else. He says that's a weak issue and I'm bummed out now. Then for Greenlander number 172, 1 part 2, he said the cover is great, but Kyle's Shadowhawk uniform is pretty funny. I really like the Pirate Ship spaceship, but the pink boomerang Ninja Star is hilarious. This issue was okay and there's really not much to say here. The reveal at the end that the accordions are the real power behind the black circle was one of the most disappointing and uneventful reveals to date. I'm really hoping that parts 3, 4, and 5 make up for these last issues. Uh, if you've gotten there, Scott, you will know that they did in some ways and didn't in others. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Scott, for writing in. We've got another email here from Scott. And I think this was important because this actually covers some of the issues that I wasn't able to cover in the run. Uh, It's entitled Will World and Some Others. He writes in saying, Hi, Sean. I was able to read Will World recently, and also read three books from earlier in the Green Lantern run that you were covering. So I have a few comments if you don't mind. Actually, I I greatly appreciate them because since I haven't covered them, I'd love to hear what you had to say about them. And I'm certain the audience would love to hear what you have to say about them. So he starts off with Green Lantern Will World, which we did cover. This was a very cool story, and the visuals were fantastic. It took me about three days to read it as I commuted to and from work, but I enjoyed every single page. Did you say that you had to read it twice because it was that good? I think I said to have a re- read it twice because the story was just so intricate that I kind of took a while to wrap my mind around it. I think it might have been sort of aided by the fact that the artwork was that very trippy sort of psychedelic type thing and it was just a very dense and imaginative story to kind of wrap my head around so that's probably it Scott goes on to say that honestly this could have been one of the best graphic novels I've read it sounds like this book was artist Seth Fisher's brainchild so I really need to find some other books that he's created I'm sorry to hear that he's passed on though then Green Lantern and the Ray number one this was a nice, refreshing reminder about how the how great the Ron Mars was Ron Mars run was on Green Lantern. This issue came out in 1986, and Scott Collins' art is fantastic. Oh, I might have to check that out. I've enjoyed Scott Collins' work on Green Lantern. So many great characters in this issue, including the Rey, Dr. Polaris, Ray du, and a Japanese superhero named Arashi. The last page even hints that a future team-up between Kyle and Arashi, which unfortunately never happened, as far as I'm aware of. A few creepy scenes in here uh, are in here, and a scene of the Twin towers in the background of New York and a massive tsunami that almost takes out Japan, both having serious catastrophes after this issue was printed. Yeah, that's uh, not saying that they're eerily prescient, but yeah, that's always weird when you see that kind of stuff happening in comic books prior to that happening in real life. Overall, I really enjoyed this issue. Then he goes on to Green Lantern, Our Worlds at War, number one. On the flip side, this issue was a reminder of how parts of Winnick's run were really unenjoyable at times. The issue came out in 2001, and the art by Sham is absolutely amazing. There's a great shower sheet scene in the beginning with Kyle and Jenny in the shower. and there seem to be a lot of shower scenes in these books. And at the end, they had a scene where Kyle is sprinting back to the shower again in order to have sex with Jenny one more time before he left Earth on his mission. Well... I guess, wouldn't you? There you go. Jenny complains that they only have 10 minutes to do it. Um, Jenny's great, eh? Okay. <laughs> after this, the story loses me. So after, the, after Jenny and Kyle uh, doing it, it's not that fun. That kind of diminishes the idea of the story. He says Kyle creates a planet, Sinestro shows up, but it's not really Sinestro. Ganthet says some weird stuff, some villain I've never seen is hiding on Pluto, and there's literally eight pages in the, the book dedicated to Kyle and Jenny groping each other and talking about how Kyle's powers are getting more powerful. Pass. Huh. Well, maybe this is one that I'm kind of glad that I uh, avoided. Finally, he talks about Green Lantern 3D, and he said this issue came out in 1998 and was actually a very enjoyable issue. The 3D was very well done, and it worked well with the 3D glasses that came with it. As expected here, there was a lot of action and not much story, but it was still a fun read anyway. Your favorite character, Dr. Light, oh, Dr. Light, the pre-rapey guy, plays a major role in this issue, and it was cool to see what Hal created while he was in the power battery. Kyle and Jenny follow Dr. Light into the power battery, and we see the world that was created by Hal. I won't tell you too much in case you want to pick this up. By the way, does Ron Mars ever write a book uh, that Kyle and Jenny don't have sex in? Um, I guess this last run of uh, Green Lantern, uh, that they don't, so there you go. He says again they're knocking boots at the end of the issue. Well, think about it. If you had the opportunity, wouldn't you? There you go. Ron Marshwart's a very hilarious sexual innu- innuendo scene at the beginning of the book that had me in stitches too. This was a fun one. Thanks, Sean. Now you're getting close to the end of your own amazing run and podcast, Scott. Well, thank you, Scott, for consistently writing in and filling me in on these books. I might have to see if I can track down the Greenlander 3D, even if it doesn't have the stereoscopic or whatever you the the red and blue Greenlander, or red and blue glasses, so you can read the book. I can probably. Find those somewhere around. Maybe it'll work with my kids' real three 3D glasses. Probably not. But thanks Scott again for writing in. We've got one more letter here. And this comes from my good friend Professor Allen. He does the uh, quarterbin podcast as well as a short box showcase over at the Relatively Geeky Network. And he's going to be doing this new project, which is called "From Darkness to Light." He just announced it on the latest short uh, Shortbox Showcase, and it's going to be a a sort of discussion of religion and theology in comics and in works of fiction as well. And I, I really enjoyed that. They they talked a bit about that when they did their sh- their uh, comic book. Uh, TV review shows uh, like on Constantine. And it's always interesting to hear the professor and Emily get into that and talk about that stuff. So they'll be doing blog posts, I believe. I think they even have a Tumblr page. I'm not on Tumblr, so I don't get it, but sure, Tumblr. And they might even be doing some podcasts about that. So if you like hearing Professor and Emily talk on the uh, short box Showcase, you should definitely go check this out. I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. But anyway, the professor writes in with the title of his email, Black Circle, and he says, Sean, it took until issue 175 for the Black Circle story to finally end. Wow, I could have swore I joined you more than three months ago to talk about the start of that series, more than a year ago in comic book time. Yikes. I don't automatically dislike stories that take a long time to tell. Some stories deserve that much epic scope, but this one, Mm, not so much persevere, Sean. Keep up the good work as I tur- as you turn into the final stretch. I have thoroughly enjoyed the podcast. Even the episodes that I weren't on were pretty good. Well, I have to say I've endeavored to try and put out quality episodes, despite the fact that I didn't have the presence of the great Professor Allen on the show. So it's it's been wonderful to have you on the show, and uh, thank you again for the encouraging words. Um, Yeah, the Ben Ray run was it it was a it was a run it was it was something they had to get through but the, I'm certain every run of comics has its dark times and just those times seem to be pretty dark but I'm gonna knock it on the head for email it's been a while uh thanks everyone for writing with the, all your encouragements uh I really appreciate getting your emails and if you'd like to write into the show uh, coming up on the in the next couple of episodes, I will try and get in as many emails as I can. And even after the show ends, I will attempt to make sure that I respond to emails that you send into the website or you send it to the Gmail address, which of course is just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. Thanks everyone again for writing in, but let's go ahead and knock it on the head and get into our coverage of Green Lantern number 179. Greenlander number one seventy nine had a cover date of September two thousand and four and a release date of July twenty eighth of two thousand and four. The cover price was a mere two dollars and twenty five cents and three fifty in Canada. And the title was Homecoming Question Mark Part Four. The writer was Ron Mars. Penciler was Luke Ross. The inker was Rodney Ramos. The colorist Moose Bowman. Letterer Jared K Fletcher. Associate editor Steve Wacker. Editor Peter Tomasi. And the cover art was by Brandon C Peterson. Standing atop the Statue of Liberty and hopefully not interfering with Remo Williams kicking the snot out of some thugs, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner recounts the problems of his past few days on Earth as he recharges his ring. Finishing the charge, Kyle places the battery back in its spatial rift, a convenient place to keep this as he has no place to call home at the moment, then streaks off to confront the one behind his recent misery, Benjamin Rape. I mean, Major Force, Major Force, no... Not Ben Ray, because he's the one who's ruined Kyle in the recent past. Meanwhile, at a shadowy government agency building in Washington, D.C., a young receptionist is disrupted from her phone conversation about her latest hookup by a pair of emerald Viking warriors crashing through the front of the building. The verdant Vikings are immediately followed by one very pissed-off Green Lantern, who demands the whereabouts of one major force— the receptionist tells Kyle that he's not allowed back there, and Kyle says that he'll file that complaint in the things that I don't give a shit about, Kyle, which he'll get to as soon as he can. As Kyle goes about smashing the place up, the receptionist presses the alarm button, and before you know it, someone arrives to take care of the intruding Kyle. Unfortunately, that someone is Green Lantern John Stewart, who happened to be in town and wonders just what Kyle is doing breaking into a federal facility. Kyle tells him that he's here to take down Major Force, and John says that this isn't the way to handle this, and if Kyle doesn't have to calm down, things are going to escalate. Kyle agrees, as he takes to the skies to deliver some consequences, copyright Allen and Emily Middleton, 2014, all rights reserved to his fellow GL. The two knock each other around with a variety of constructs until Kyle smacks John into the steps in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Near defeat, John asks Kyle how far he's willing to go for this, and Kyle comes to his senses and begins to talk with his avocado ally. Since he got back, Kyle's life has been in the proverbial crapper, what with John taking his spot in the league and Jenny breaking up with them. John tells him that things are tough for him as well, what with Marin leaving him, but as heroes, they just can't go flying off the handle like this. Telling Kyle that he needs to get his head together, John suggests heading out west to meet with his mother. Kyle worries about dropping the hunt for Major Force, but John says that he'll track him down for him and let him know when he finds out anything about his whereabouts. Thanking each other, the two heroes part ways. Meanwhile, in the recently trashed shadowy government office, Major Force pulls the ring-construct dagger out of the picture of him standing next to the president. His aide tells him that Greenlander John Stewart was looking for him, but he told him that Forrest was out on a covert mission in Argentina. Pleased by the deception, Major Forrest comes to the conclusion that if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. And what he wants done right is the murder of Kyle Rain. This issue suffers a bit from being the middle chapter of a story, and like most middle chapters, it's simply marking time until the end. Now that Kyle has wrapped up all of his dealings with Jenny and Fatality, through talking and then fighting, now he has to deal with finding out who is the source for all of his problems, Major Force. I really like how Mars and Ross are portraying Kyle as a bit disheveled in the book, as if he hasn't slept for a long time. Ross really draws him with a good amount of stubble, and... Ron Mars writes him as not really thinking too straight. And all of this is culminating with the arrival of Jon Stewart, the person who Kyle feels has replaced him. John coming in to stop his investigation of Major Force is just the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Yes, it's also no excuse for two lanterns to fight over Washington, D.C., but like most hero fights, it quickly ends with the two rationally talking it out and Marta is setting up more ways to bring this era of the book to an end by having Kyle meet with his mom and resolve things with her. So, it's a slight step down from previous issues, but still staying on track to complete the book series in what I consider will be a very satisfying manner. Overall, not as good as the previous ones, but it's the middle chapter. Middle chapters are always a bit slow, it's still doing significantly better than previous issues. But going to specifics in the book, the cover is what we need to start out with, and I'll give it the computerized coloring on the cover is great, but Brandon Peterson doesn't seem to get Kyle. His hair is all messed up. His face looks wrong. It looks more like sort of Tim Drake's face, I think because he's got the mask sort of more like you'd see on the Tim Drake Robin mask, and especially the hair. Plus, his body is very, very beefy. I I understand that heroes are supposed to look somewhat unnaturally fit, but Kyle looks too unnaturally fit for himself. So, not the best cover by Peterson here, despite the fact that the coloring is very dynamic. Page two, you know... I don't ever want to see Kyle standing in the line of fire, but I guess he is the only one who has to come to grips with his own desires. those wonderful days in the 80s where you thought that your career with sticks would you know be a hindrance to your solo projects and you delivered such great themes as this which um i think was the only real theme to a movie that you did but regardless uh, go check out remo williams that was kind of but all kidding aside this is really some good artwork here uh the background feature of Kyle's standing on top of the arm of the Statue of Liberty looks really good. Ross is getting a lot of detail in there. The only negative thing I can say about this is the sort of silly-looking CGI lightning that's coming off the uh, lantern. But other than that, I think the artwork in the interior of the book is really superb. Page three, we get Kyle hiding his Green Lantern ring in a spatial rift. Which they seem to make note of in this story that it's kind of a new thing. I always thought that was kind of the thing that the Greenlanders could open up this sort of dimensional rift and store their power batteries in there just for safekeeping, especially if they needed it at certain times. So they knew that they needed a certain time so they could just reach in there and recharge, especially with the 24 hour thing going on. So maybe this isn't just Ron Mars not following along with that concept or. Him trying to make it sound like a new thing? Not really certain. Page five, we've got the image of Kyle breaking into the shadowy government office. And you can tell that Ron Mars is really writing him in a, a way that's completely out of character. He's not thinking straight. He goes in there just smashing the place up. And I think it's, it's a, once again, it's Ron Mars writing Kyle correctly, He's focused, he's determined, but he's been under a lot of pressure. He's had to deal with the fatality, he's had to deal with the breakup with Jenny, he's had to deal with him having to move out of his apartment. He's not thinking correctly, so the fact that he's acting like this is in character while being out of character at the same time. He's got a lot on his mind and he's not acting the way that he normally would. But it feels right, nonetheless. Page seven, panel three. I like here a bit of DC continuity. The picture that Kyle's looking at, uh, with major force and the president is actually, at least it looks like that it's actually President Luthor, who was, of course, the president in the DC universe at this time. I think from, you know, the 2000s on for a while, he was the president. So nice bit of continuity in there. But then on page eight, we get the reveal of Jon Stewart, or Jon Stewart coming into the shadowy government office and putting Kyle in sort of a ring construct jacket. And I'm still not as impressed with Ross's work on John as I am in the rest of the book. His face looks too photorealized, like he's trying to put an image of a certain actor in there. I'm not really certain who it could be, but it just looks very different from the Jon Stewart that we've seen prior in the book. And if there is a negative, negative thing you could take out of this book, that would probably be the one thing. Page 10, this is a really great use of the nine-panel grid to have Kyle relate the release of Fatality to John and set up the eventual fight. And once again, Ross does a wonderful job, especially in these last three panels. You've got this image of kyle looking sort of dejected and defeated then his ring charging up you see a little bit more energy in that second to the last panel and then finally he's got the ring glow and he's ready to take john down it's it's really good storytelling through both ron Morris's writing and the art here and the nine page grid was a good choice to sort of space this out throughout the story without having to tell it in large splash pages it works here Page 15, panel 3. Once again, Kyle goes for the Godzilla construct to take down uh, John's jet plane that he was flying into him. I know Kyle has used Godzilla before many times, but this is a different-looking Godzilla construct. In fact, it kind of looks like this might actually be a sort of costume Godzilla, because if you kind of look at the front, it looks like there is a zipper on the front of it. And I'm trying to see what else I saw here. It looks also like there is a pad, yeah, if you look at the right arm, it looks like there is a sewn-on patch. So it's giving the idea of not only this being a construct of a giant daikaiju, but it's actually the movie version of it, which essentially would be a guy in a suit. So that's kind of cool. Page 16, panel 1, John pops up a very 1970s blaxploitation PI to handcuff Kyle which i guess is showing john's age i mean that shaft is one bad mother but i don't know whether he belongs in this book but it's a, it's a way of distinguishing kyle and john's constructs so i'll give the book that page 18 i'm certain you can probably find some symbolism for kyle and john to finalize their conflict in this book along among the steps of the lincoln memorial Lincoln, who was obviously known for presiding over the country during a civil war. Not that I hope this turns out to be a civil war, because, well, that's Marvel and best not talked about in DC. But after that, we basically get the wrap-up with Kyle and John talking it out, which is good for them. And it's good that they both relate to each other, that they both had problems in their lives. They both had, essentially, breakups with their girlfriend Kyle gets out his grievances about John being the member of the JLA instead of him, and they come to a realization that they shouldn't be fighting each other, that they're in this together, and I really enjoyed that. Plus, then we get on page 22, the final page that sets up that Major Force is going to take Kyle out on his own, and I don't know what's going to happen. I <laughs> I hope we're not going to have another uh, Gail Simone ranting woman in refrigerators thing, but I guess we'll have to find out here in the next issue. But overall, a, a big fight issue, some decent art, a few areas of wonkiness, but it's still capturing my imagination. It's still keeping me engaged, and it's still a good book to read. I'm so happy that Ron Mars came back to this, and I'm enjoying every moment of this. Let's see if I can enjoy some of the moments of some of the ads in the issue. Starting with the front inside cover, we get an advertisement for the Urban Up uh, clothing line. This one's got a sort of guy with long blonde hair riding a bicycle. Urban Pipeline high energy clothes for city, beach, and skate. I guess it's skater punk clothes, so there you go. Oh, oh joy. It's an advertisement for the video game for Catwoman the movie with Holly Berry. Which, I think the only reason why anyone would want to watch the Catwoman movie would be because they thought they might see Catwoman in this ridiculous outfit that Holly Berry is in this image here. It's the leather jeans that are all torn up, and her in the bikini bra with the cat mask and the whip. (sighs) Yeah, Holly Berry is incredibly attractive. And I can't say that the movie was awful since I haven't seen it, but I've heard from many a person that the movie is awful, so I can only assume that the video game in no way redeemed the movie. And then after you had a little something for the men, you've got a little something for the ladies here with Dave Mira shirtless. They call him Miracle Boy, not for my gold medals, but because I've survived double black flips, getting hit by a car, and the mega ramp. What makes me so indestructible? Milk. Of course. Dave Mira got this way from drinking milk. Not from, you know, anabolic steroids or anything like that. Milk. So, drink your milk, kids. It'll make you shirtless and muscular like Dave Mira. Then after that, here comes an ad for a video game I don't think I've ever heard of. I mean, I've heard of the 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 movie, which is Terminator 3, but this video game is called Terminator 3: The Redemption. It's out on all platforms for Xbox, PlayStation 2, and GameCube, but I've never heard of this game at all. It says, experience the Terminator universe like never before, so maybe this was an advertisement for a game that didn't come out, or it was a game that just didn't do very well and was quickly forgotten. And speaking of things that should be quickly forgotten, we get an advertisement for the Alien vs. Predator movie. The Alien coming in from the top and the Predator on the right side at the bottom, saying with the tagline that says, whoever wins, we lose. And if you've seen the Aliens vs. Predator movies, well, I think it's more Requiem that that tagline would be appropriate to, because that movie was full of lose an advertisement next for Dragon Ball GT, The Lost Episodes, as well as the Volume 1 collection on DVD, plus the Dragon Ball Z movie, Bojack Unbound. I thought he was a horseman. No idea. Uh, got an advertisement for Game Boy Advance and some of the games on that. Looks like ports of actual NES games, including Pac-Man, Super Mario Bros., and Donkey Kong, and looks like Legend of Zelda as well. So you can play your favorite... And and I guess this is kind of humorous because you're playing on your advanced Game Boy system games that you would have been playing on your Nintendo. And the character who looks like he's playing looks like he's trapped in the past with his bleach jeans, his jean jacket with the sleeves rolled up, and his awesome, awesome mullet. And yes, this is a mullet. I guarantee it few more pages in, we can advertise them for the Justice League animated movie Star Crossed, which was essentially, I want to say it was a three-part episode that was packaged into a movie that basically bridged the gap between Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. It essentially dealt with Hawkgirl uh, re-encountering the Thanagarians and the Justice League learning that Hawkgirl that was basically a scout for the Thanagarians who were wanting to come and take over Earth. Really good movie. Of course, all the Justice League animated stuff was was amazing. Uh, perhaps some of the best distillation of DC characters into animated form. Perhaps ever, I would say. I could go that far. Then we've got an ad, an ad for DCComics.com. It's a Sideways ad and ad. I guess they're starting at DC Comics is starting to get up its website up and running at least a little bit more. It's got, um, who is it, Ed McGinnis for the Batman and Superman, um, artwork here on the page. So, DC Comics.com, still going. We then get a house ad for JLA number 101 through 106, Pain of the Gods, which is, I guess, drawn by Ron Garney and written by Chuck Austin that's got Superman with the glowing red eyes of anger because that's the way Superman rolls currently or prior to that. The DC in demand page uh, does finally list that uh, the flash and Iron Heights writer Jeff Johns and Ethan Manskyber are going to be doing the Green Lantern rebirth storyline going to be de- debuting in October, which I think it may have been after that, because, well, maybe it was October release date, because I know the cover date for Green Lantern number 181 is November. So, obviously, the new Green Lantern with uh, Hal Jordan is coming up very soon. Back inside cover is an advertisement for Claricell Ultra, Day 1 Zits, Day 2 Zit, Day 3 Z. So, I guess you're getting rid of its by the end of the uh, use of clear cell sure and the back outside cover is for x games 10 or x games x which is coming to la in august of 2004 so you could watch a little bit live on abc and see your favorite x games characters ride skateboards and flip on bicycles and all that kind of crazy stuff there you go but that does it for the comic and some interesting new ads and uh Looking forward to the next issue, especially because it looks like Major Force and Kyle are going to have a bit of a tussle. Hopefully, there will be no inf- no refrigerators involved. Fingers crossed. But until then, thanks everyone for downloading and listening, and I hope you'll come back next week for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern Podcast. Until then, everyone, have a good week. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories and music are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking and exciting while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast, and you, su- you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new DemanzaCore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was A Sort of Homecoming by the band U2 off their album The Unforgettable Fire. Once again, if you'd like to buy this song, buy this album, or buy this mp3 download, the best place to go would be Amazon.com. But before you go to Amazon.com, go to TutorFreaks.com. If you go to TutorFreaks.com and click the banner in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, you'll be directed to Amazon.com, where you can buy a myriad number of things from Amazon, including The Unforgettable Fire, perhaps one of U2's best albums. Plus, you can also buy a myriad number of other things, from sports equipment to video games, movies and DVDs, pretty much everything. Anything that anyone could ever desire. And you can all get it for reasonably low prices. And, as always, if you use the link at 2 to buy your material from Amazon, a little bit of your purchase price goes back to the website. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but the 2 really appreciate the help. So, anytime again that you're wanting to buy something from Amazon.com, make sure you use the link at 2